Welcome to Mea Online, a podcast of Hebrew College. Learn more and sign up for our intensive courses at www.hebrewcollege.edu slash Online. Mea is spelled M-E-A-H. If you're enjoying this podcast, we hope you'll rate us highly on your podcast app. Today, we continue our exploration of the Mea Online course, Journey Through the Bible, with Professor Mark Brettler from Duke University. We'll learn about biblical poetry, especially as it relates to prophecy and prophets in the Bible. As I mentioned in the previous module, much of biblical prophecy is in poetry. So in order to understand that properly, I need to talk about biblical poetry, which has some similarities to modern poetry, but in many ways is fundamentally different. What I would just like to point out initially is that almost all cultures have a normal way of speaking and an unusual way of speaking, a fancier way of speaking. It is that fancier way of speaking that we typically call poetry. So for example, in Pose the Raven, you have both rhythm and rhyme. Once upon a midnight dreary, while I pondered weak and weary over many a quaint and curious volume of forgotten lore, while I nodded, nearly napping, suddenly there came a tapping, as of someone gently rapping, rapping at my chamber door. To some visitor, I muttered, tapping at my chamber door. Only this, and nothing more. Someone in ancient Israel would not have understood that as poetry, because ancient Israel had fundamentally different norms for the way in which what we might call biblical poetry was not prose. It had no rhyme. Much of it had no meter. Something that it does share in common with modern poetry is its vocabulary. It uses rare words. And to introduce you to one of the favorite words, one of the favorite technical terms that biblical scholars use, biblical poetry has many hapax legomena. That's a word from Greek, which means a word which occurs only one time in a corpus, Biblical poetry, if you read through it, has many uncommon words, some of them so uncommon that they only appear once in the entire biblical corpus. In addition, like modern poetry, biblical poetry often has much figuration. It has extensive metaphor and simile. Thus, for example, in Amos 4.1, when he is speaking to the people of Israel, more specifically to the women, the upper-class women in Israel, he says, hear this word, you cows of Bashan. Bashan was a region in northern Israel with a very, very rich grassland. Thus, it was a great grazing area. And certainly, Amos here is speaking metaphorically. He is not talking to cows, but he is talking to the upper-class women, calling them cows metaphorically. Finally, there are many oral plays, plays to the ear in biblical poetry. So to give you one of my favorites, 
the first verse and a bit of the Song of Songs. And here, just listen. It is not important to know what these words mean. And you'll hear the type of assonance and alliteration that characterize English poetry as well. Shir hashirim asher lishlomo yishakeni min shikot. People do not normally speak like that. So this is yet another way in which poetry in the Bible has some similarities to poetry in contemporary culture. Quite strikingly, medieval Jewish scholars did not really understand the basic principles of the way in which biblical poetry worked. A wonderful book is by the co my co-editor of the Jewish Study Bible, Adele Berlin, Biblical Poetry Through Medieval Jewish Eyes. And there you could see that there really are only two scholars in the medieval age who understood the way in which biblical poetry worked, which really was more or less discovered by Robert Loth, who lived in England. Loth used the word parallelism for describing biblical poetry and noted the following features about it. I will illustrate these features in the next slide. A main feature of biblical poetry is that most of it is binary in nature. In other words, you could divide the line up into two parts. And at least according to Loth, these two parts typically had one of three main relationships between, the each, between each of the parts. Those sections, which we call A and B, could be synonymous, antithetical, or synthetic. And modern scholars have revised these three, this typology into three sections in various ways, but it still stands to some extent. So in a color-coded way, I have tried to illustrate these three types of parallelism for you. In synonymous parallelism, the second or B part more or less says the same thing as the A part using different words. So that in Psalm, Psalm 2, verse 4, he who, he who is enthroned in heaven laughs, the Lord mocks at them. In other words, you could see how he who is enthroned in heaven on the slide in yellow is parallel and says more or less the same thing as the Lord. Similarly, mocks and laughs are more or less synonymous. Again, note the words at them are in white. This often happens in parallelism where not every word or every phrase is repeated. You could hear this in Hebrew, Yoshev Bashamayim Yishak, Adonai Yilag Lamo. And part of the reason the word, words at them are in white is because he, he who is enthroned in heavens is long, is paralleled by the shorter, the Lord. And usually both halves of the Hebrew verse and poetry more or less balance, even if there is no rhythm in the sense of alternating stressed and unstressed syllables. The second type of parallelism is antithetical. 
So here you have from the book of Proverbs, and this type of parallelism very much typifies the middle of the book of Proverbs. A wise son makes his father happy. A fool of a man humiliates his mother. And just look at the color coding of opposites. Father, mother, wise son, fool of a man, makes happy and humiliates. And the third category, which is more or less a catch-all category, in this case, the verse is binary. So after the introduction, a psalm of David, you have, the Lord is my shepherd, I lack nothing. This is neither synonymous nor antithetical, but the two parts do fit together, and the structure of the entire verse indeed is binary. One of the main questions about biblical poetry is how should it be interpreted? And how did biblical poetry develop in this particular way with these two parts, these binary verses, and this set of relationships between these verses? And here, I would like to point out that one theory suggests that the main meaning of biblical poetry is in the A part of the verse, and in some cases, the B part, the second part, indeed is totally devoid of meaning and be, should be considered to be a filler. One of the best examples of this is from Psalm 121, verse 6. By day the sun will not strike you, nor the moon by night. You can see that this is good antithetical parallelism, but it creates a huge problem. I certainly know people who have gotten uh, very bad sunburn, but I do not know of anybody who has received very bad moonburn, as the second half of this verse suggests, nor the moon by night. This is probably a case, and by the way, don't think this person is getting moonstruck. That idea does not develop, with, does not develop until the Roman period and does not exist within the Semitic worldview. Thus, the second half of this verse nor the moon by night, is likely a filler. And indeed, in ancient Near Eastern literature, you have be parts of the verse, which very typically second without adding much to the a parts. The first example, which I'm going to ask you to read on your own, is from the city of Ugarit. This is a very important place where in a 19, starting in 1927, tablets were discovered in a language which we call Ugaritic. This language is very close to biblical Hebrew, and it has many epics which shed light on the traditions that you have in the Hebrew Bible, including epics about the Canaanite high god Baal. If you read this, you will see the way in which you have typical type of biblical parallelism which you have as well from this text from ancient Mesopotamia, a text which I alluded to, the Enuma Elish, the ancient Mesopotamian or an ancient Mesopotamian creation story, which really has less to do with creation than with the elevation of Marduk as the high gods. But you can just see even from its beginning that this type of parallelism that typifies the Bible was not uniquely Israelite, but is part of what Israel shared with the cultures around it. When on high, the heaven had not been named. Its parallel 
firm ground below had not been called by name. So this one theory of biblical poetry suggests that the bulk of the meaning of the verse is in its A part. In contrast to that, a newer theory of biblical poetry suggests that it is the B part, the second part, which carries most of the meaning. This theory has been developed especially by James Kugel, who taught for many years at Harvard, then at Bar Ilan University in Israel, and by Robert Alter, who is still teaching at University of California at Berkeley. And this theory suggests that biblical poetry should be analyzed in terms of A and what is more so B. Thus, what really carries the meaning of the verse is the B part and not the A part. It is very difficult to know, and I think this debate has not been fully resolved and has to be decided on a psalm by psalm or a poetic section by poetic section basis of whether or not Alter and Kugel's theory is correct and the B part bears most of the meaning, or if the earlier theory, which puts the Bible within its ancient Near Eastern context, is more correct, and the A part bears most of the meaning. I suggest that as you read biblical poetry, you make your own decision about whether it is the first part of the verse or the second part of the verse that bears most of the meaning.